And we're going to get to these in a few moments, but as you're turning there, I'd like to read the Apostles' Creed to you to just kind of remind you where we're at and remind you where we've been, remind you where we're going. So as you're turning to Matthew chapter 27, let me read to you. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So thank you. And as you're turning, again, Matthew chapter 27, verse uh, verse 46. And then also we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Let me just give a little recap. So we continue to be in this Apostles' Creed series, and we're actually in week 8. So we're a little bit past halfway through, and I'll just remind you, we've been preaching with this message of the creed, but we're not preaching the creed because we know that the true power does not come in these creedal statements, but it comes in the Word of God. So we're allowing the creed statements to just be like a a trampoline to help spring us into God's Word. Now, we've covered a lot of stuff so far. We've covered some very foundational statements to our belief and what do we believe. And some of these statements, I think, are very easy for us to understand. Maybe you're born, up, born and, and raised in a Christian home. And for you to hear those words that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that's nothing new to you. But today we come to something strange in the neighborhood. Now... Maybe some of you, that makes you think of Ghostbusters. It did me. I was kind of intrigued by that title. But the intriguing part is this. You see, we are now at what some might consider the strangest part of the creed. The strangest part of the creed because, like I said, almost every other statement might make sense. But now we get to Jesus descended to hell. How does this make sense? Surely Jesus who told the thief, the criminal, being crucified next to him, that today I will be with you in paradise, is not in hell, right? I mean, what does this mean? Surely, Jesus Christ, who was sinless, blameless, perfect, would not be in hell, suffering for our sins, would he? Many, many, many theological leaders, theologians, pastors throughout time have been greatly perplexed by this. And I think I need to stress just a little bit more than I did in first service that this message that I'm about to preach to you, I have been extremely perplexed by this week. I have studied and studied and studied. At one point, I think I counted, I had close to 25 commentaries and Bible translations out on my desk and on my computer and just studying over and over and over again, what does this mean? You know, there's a story of Martin Luther who was so perplexed by this scripture that he, he told somebody he was going to go into seclusion and he was just going to meditate on the scripture of First Peter chapter 3 and try and figure out what does this mean. And he came out of seclusion a long time later and said that he was coming out more perplexed than when he went in. 
There's another pastor which actually said that we need to be careful. You see, this pastor that I've been reading and, and studying and seeing what he believes on these creedal statements, almost every chapter he'll have 20 to 30 pages describing what each statement means. And then you get to this statement, Jesus descended to hell, and he has two and a half pages. And he stresses the urgency that we must not try and add more than what's in God's word. We need to be careful. And yes, we can ponder, we can think, what does this mean? But like I said, I want to express, I've been perplexed by this. And some of you might know more than me. In fact, I guarantee some of you do. We can ponder, we can think, we can meditate, what does this mean? But we need to make sure that it relates to God's word. It stays true to God's word. I don't know about you. I've never been to hell. I've never been to Hades yet. Now, maybe metaphorically you can say I've been to hell. But I don't think any of us literally have yet. So, as we talk, let me give you a few more reasons why this is a hard one to preach on. And we might go a little bit late today. I'm going to try and watch that clock very closely. But here's another reason why this is very hard to preach on. For one thing, you look in the Bible. Look in the entire Bible. Go to Google. Go to your search engine. Go to the back of your Bible and cross-reference and look in the index. Try and figure out, where does this statement come from? Jesus descended to hell. You will not find one statement that uses these exact words, saying, Jesus descended to hell. But what you will find is some scriptures related to this where he might have got it from. So it's not that this idea is not biblical. We'll look to this in a minute. Another reason why this is very hard to talk about is this statement was not originally in the creed. This was something which was added years after. Now, obviously, there must have been some reason why they added this. We're going to talk about some application for your life and for mine on what does this mean for me? How did this speak to me and how should it speak to you? What can you take from this statement that Jesus descended to hell? Someone must have seen this as important. Why was it here? Well, let's get to the first view. We're going to talk about two major views on why Jesus might have descended to hell. And what you see in the end is this. I'm going to give you the cliff notes here and just tell you what you see in the end is this I think both views are very important for us to apply to our life we can get a great application from both of these major views but I don't think you should take away either view number one is this Jesus descended to hell metaphorically speaking now I got a question mark there because some would debate well is it this view is it the other view but which one's right but I also have the question mark there for this reason I say metaphorically, but I think it's also literally. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, which is in front of you, I hope. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. I tried to say that really fast so you wouldn't notice. I listened to like 20 different pronunciation guides on how to pronounce that. And then my wife pointed out, honey, it's Eli, Eli. And you know what? I've heard it said both ways, and I'm just going to admit I might have said it wrong. We're ha ask Pastor Eldon how it's pronounced later. But what matters is this. Look to that next phrase. That is, in quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, in this view, this is where, where this first view comes from. Metaphorically speaking, they would, they would view that when Jesus 
descended to hell. He took upon our sins, past, present, future. And the Father had forsaken him, looked away from him, did not save him. Jesus did not save himself. It's actually a quote from Psalm 22, by the way, which in Psalm 22, you'll see those same words. Oh God, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as you see these words, what these people would say, I need to get away from my notes, just speak from my brain here. What these people would say is, Christ was separated from God the Father. And to be separated from God is hell. That's where this first view comes from. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, God the Father had looked away from the Son, and in so doing, Christ knew what it was like to descend to hell. Christ knew what it was like to be judged. But he wasn't judged for his own sins. Christ is still blameless. Christ was sinless. Christ was perfect. But God could not look upon him at that moment because he had taken all of our sins upon us and upon him. Pastor Matt Chandler says this, and this is another reason this was so hard to research and to study. Depending on who you look to, John MacArthur has a different view on this topic than John Piper. Martin Luther has a different, different opinion. R.C. Sproul has a different opinion. No matter who you look to, old, old theologians, current theologians, everybody has a different view. But Matt Chandler says this, Everything good and perfect, everything, whether you are a Christian or not, is a gift of common grace brought about by the presence of God. Hell is the absence of the presence of God. To bless and is simply the presence of God to judge. It's an interesting statement. Hell is the absence of the presence of God to bless and is simply the presence of God to judge. Now obviously Matt Chandler would go along with this view that when it speaks of Jesus descending to hell, it's metaphorically speaking that Jesus went to hell as he was separated from the Father. Furthermore, he speaks this. He says, Jesus experiences in this moment for the first time the presence of God to judge. He senses and feels the reality of hell. This is why we have an empathetic high priest. That's what the book of Hebrews calls Jesus. He knows what it's like to be us. He suffers as we have suffered. He has experienced what we experience, except he has not sinned in it. So again, I can't go back to that question mark, metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking, he did not physically descend to hell in this, in this theory, in this view. But at the same time, I think somewhat literally he did, if you consider that point. Hell is separation from God. And at this moment, he was separated from God the Father. But let's move on. And I will say this. I did a lot of research into this. And I'm still perplexed. And you might be too. Maybe you know some stuff better than me. Great, but I, I challenge you. Continue to study God's Word. Never stop studying God's Word. But what I want to say, I can't give you in 20 minutes what I spent 20 hours, 30 hours researching. So please know I can only give you a little bit today. But the second view is this. The second view comes more from a literal standpoint of 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 to 20. In Ephesians chapter 4, and even Colossians 2. So we're going to focus on reading 1 Peter 3 now. If you look down in front of you, 
the words we have are this. For Christ also suffered, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now listen closely. It says this, in which he went and proclaimed or preached, some translations say or preached, to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. Again, I say, this is perplexing, but notice a few things. First of all, who are we speaking of? That's why I went before, a little bit before verse 19 here, because you need to see we're speaking of Jesus Christ. For Christ also suffered once for sins. And then it goes on to say, in which he, Christ, went, went. As you see, he went, it means he's speaking literally. He went somewhere. Where did he go? He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. So again, there's a lot here to, to kind of decipher, to think about. I'm going to try and give you the cliff notes, the summary here, because my watch is already going off telling me it's time to start wrapping up. Brian, no closing worship song. <laughs> so here we go. First of all, I want you to see this. In this view, there are several different versions of hell. Now, you have the Sheol in Hebrew, you have in Greek the um, Hades, and then you also have in Greek another word for hell, which is Gehenna. In this form, I do not believe the Apostles' Creed was meaning Gehenna. Gehenna would be, basically be the lake of fire, the eternal suffering after judgment, where you're thrown into. I believe what this view is speaking of is Jesus went down to Hades. Hades, the place of suffering where the spirits are awaiting final judgment. Now, in this view of them awaiting final judgment, we don't see Jesus going down to suffer. I truly believe the cross was enough. Jesus atoned for our sins in the cross. He went down to be a herald. He went down to proclaim. He went down to preach to these spirits of the victory that the cross was. He has been victorious over our sins. He's been victorious over death. And he is in control. If you notice from this statement, it does not say, and as he went, Satan and the, and the spirits proclaimed to him, preached to him. It doesn't say anything about them being in control. Jesus was proclaiming to the spirits. Jesus was in full control of what was happening. Now, I also want to point out that word spirits. Spirits, what some people might read is as he was here, he was proclaiming to people who have died in the past. But if you're to look up in Greek here, there's actually two separate words. And if you look to all God's word, generally when God's speaking of people, he'll use the word souls. Where here he's speaking of spirits. And if you look in Greek, it is a different word. And what, what they should be meaning here is fallen angels or demons. Not speaking of souls, not speaking of people. Jesus went to proclaim, to preach to the spirits of his victory over sin and over death. Now, how does this apply to the Apostles' Creed? Well, first of all, I, I want you to see, as I already said, that Jesus did not go there to suffer for our sins. He had already suffered on the cross. He had already died on the cross. His blood was spilled. His body was broken. We were forgiven through that. He went there to proclaim 
of his triumph and of his victory. I also want you to see that as we see Jesus descended to hell literally in this view, it's not meaning that Jesus went to the eternal place of torment, the lake of fire. That's not in existence here. What he went to was where these, these spirits are suffering until the eternal judgment is done. Now, in so doing, let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4. Read this at verse 17 to 7 to 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, straight out of scripture here, I'm reading Ephesians 4, verse 8. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended... To the lower earthly regions. He who descended is a very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, in this belief, they would believe that Jesus descended, as we talked about, to proclaim victory, his triumph, but then as he ascended, he took those saints with him. He took those people with him because in this belief, Hades has two separate compartments. Or one person earlier said there's two different umbrellas. But either way, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits. And then he took the souls with him um, of old, the saints of old with him. And that's what that Ephesians 4 is talking about. Before we move on, I want to address one debatable topic. There was that criminal on the side of him on the cross that said, later this day, I will be with you in paradise. One person said, well, surely Jesus could not have descended to hell because it said, later today, you will be with me in paradise. Well, if you were to believe this view, then what that could mean is that he was awaiting. He had gone down to that separate part and was awaiting Jesus to take him up to be with him that day. Also, let me give you John 20, verse 17 which notes that when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, he told her he had not yet risen to the Father. He had not yet risen to the Father, so surely he could not have already been up there with him. So what does this mean for you? I'm trying to skip around here a little bit for the sake of time. Um, let me make sure there's no other big points. It's a little bit of different of a sermon. I'm sorry, I'm giving you a ton of information. I hope I can apply it well for you here in a moment. But one more thing for you to see. I do not believe this was Jesus going down to proclaim to these spirits a message of salvation and evangelism, giving them a second opportunity, a second chance. That just does not happen. We don't see that, that illustrated in Scripture. You have that one chance in life. Also, there's a different Greek word for evangelism. If he was to go there to proclaim a message of evangelism, it would be evangelizo. Instead... There's a different word of him going as a herald, Caruso. The, spirit, the, the spirits here were not receiving that message of salvation. They were receiving a message of triumph and victory. But let's move on. As we get to this 1 Peter 3, you should know the context. Now, as we begin to wrap up, let me give you this. In 1 Peter, he's writing to a suffering church. He gives us a great illustration to see how Jesus suffered and conquered, and because of this, we can look to him for help. He understands, he cares, but most importantly, he has already triumphed over suffering and over death, and he was in full control. Christ, in his suffering and death, is not taken captive, but was the victor. 
And in Peter, we might see examples of honorable living in the midst of suffering. So, to get to my final closing points here, I give you this. Number one, and maybe you're thinking, well, what view does Pastor Patrick believe? I'll give you this. I believe both. I think both views are critical for us to, to believe because literally that's in God's word. I'll also say I'm still fully com- perplexed in trying to understand what this means exactly. And we can, we can debate, we can discuss these. But I do think that no matter which one you believe, or if you believe both, there's these points to take from it. Number one, be grateful. Be thankful that Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was separated from the Father, God, to be victorious over your sin. Be grateful. Jesus was forsaken. If you believe that to be Jesus descending to hell, which I can totally see the application there because it is hell to be separated from the Father. Be grateful that Jesus went through that for you. Point two is this. Jesus proclaimed, preached to the demons of his victory over death and sin. And we too can preach to the demons in our life, but only through the name and power of Jesus. We all have demons in our life. We all have demons speaking into our life. Satan wants to do nothing more than to leave you, to, to separate you from God, to put you into that number one view, a separation of God, to put you in a position of hell. We need to remember that Jesus has already been victorious. Jesus has already triumphed. Jesus has already preached, proclaimed to the spirits of his victory. We do not need them to control us. We need to allow God to control our lives. Does that mean we're never going to struggle? No, we will struggle. Does that mean we're not going to suffer? No, we will suffer. But in those times, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to his victory, to his triumph, and we need to pray for his help. He will help us. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The phrase powers and authorities is kind of powerful to understand because he's not talking about physical powers of the world here. It's talking about spiritual forces of wickedness. These powers have been disarmed. They may look scary. They may have some influence on your life, but they cannot influence you eternally if you surrender all and allow God to control you. Allow God to control you. God has struck a mighty blow and left Satan defeated, disarmed, and disgraced. Look to Christ's victory. Look to this and allow him to work. Let me close in prayer and you will be dismissed. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word and that it has so much to give. And even right now I'm thinking, Lord, did this come out well? Did it flow well? And all I can say, Lord, is your, your word does not go void. You would do good in all things. And Lord, I pray for this word to continue to perplex us. I pray for all of your word to continue to perplex us in a way that we continue to study your word for all of our lifetime, in a way which intrigues us and gives us more and more interest to dive deep. 
But may we also realize not to add more than what your scripture says. May we look to your context and know that ultimately you know all things and we do not. So we submit this to you and we, we just pray for you to help us to understand. But the things we do not understand, may we be okay with as we know you do know all things. And you will give us the wisdom we need. And may we be satisfied with that. Thank you for our salvation, which is so free and clear. Thank you for Jesus being separated from you. Thank you for Jesus descending to hell on our behalf so that we can have victory.